Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Healer, Heal Yourself, Discover Your Creativity While You Heal Others. And today I have Kimberly Santini, who is an artist, and uh, she is going to tell us about herself. So Kimberly, welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be part of your podcast, and I appreciate the opportunity. So uh, I'm a painter. I have always moved my hands and always been enthralled with making marks from my earliest memories. And I think my imagination was a sort of a portal for me to escape and, um, and, and enhance my own life experience in whatever way I needed to at that moment in time. So I followed a traditional career path out of college. I did study painting and art history at university. And I did go back and do part of an MFA program, uh, but I did have to drop out. I was working full-time, I became pregnant and going to school full-time too. I couldn't do all three of those things at once and stay healthy. So um, I left school, uh, I wasn't happy to do so, but I did intending to go back and I just never have gotten the opportunity to. But there was a point in my life where we had three children, my husband and I, and I, we both were working full time and I was really unhappy. And I went to him and told him, you know, how unhappy I was. And, and he said, well, why don't you leave, leave your job for a bit and we'll figure out how to make it happen and, and focus on the kids and finding yourself. And it was through that process where I began making art again and my career as a working artist, as a painter evolved from his initial support and, and him wanting me to find a way, a way to be happy and feel like I had meaning in my mm -hmm. life. So what, what were you doing when you were working? <laughs> my, my last happy, you know, when you were unhappy while you were working, uh, what was it that you were doing? I was working for a software company and uh, I was in their, in their customer support product or project management um, division. And it really was a very challenging job. And it was, it was something that thrilled me when I first stepped into it. But what I ultimately realized was that it didn't give back to, it didn't give back to a community that I truly valued. And that's not to say that it wasn't an important job or that it was any fault of that company or those individuals um, in and of themselves, it was just, it wasn't in alignment with where, where I was feeling pulled to make contributions. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Michigan. Well, no, sorry. I was not born in Michigan. <laughs> you felt like you were born in Michigan. <laughs> here at a very young age and was raised here um, in a suburb of Detroit. My father worked for automotive and my, my mother was stay-at-home parent. Mm -hmm. And I, I grew up in, in the suburbs of Detroit. Mm, okay. And where are you living now? I am still in the suburbs of Detroit. I did. Um, my, after I married my husband, we moved to California and we lived in the Los Angeles area for about eight years before we returned back here to the Midwest where both of us had roots. Yeah. 
And what is it you love about the Midwest? Well, it's a complex space and there's pros and cons to everything. But mm -hmm. the whole reason we came back here was so that we could raise our kids among their families so that they understood uh, where they came from. They mm -hmm. had their culture and, uh, and they knew their cousins and their extended family really well. So I would say that was the biggest perk of the yeah. Midwest. Wonderful. So where did you go to school? Where did you study art? I went to Michigan State University. Mm -hmm. They had a really wonderful art program there. I started out as a computer science major. My parents were always very supportive of my interest in the arts, but they told me flat out I could not pursue a career in it. They did not want me to study it. They were so fearful of the starving artist myth and that I wouldn't be able to um, sustain, right. sustain or build any sort of quality of life with that kind of a background. So. Um, I didn't, I wasn't independent enough at that point in my life to stand up to them and, and really let them know how significant it was to me. Um, but ultimately, I found my way into studying it through art history uh, and studying, studying history through the arts and what people created to mark those moments in time and, and that were happening was utterly fascinating to me and something that I hadn't been exposed to, you know, in my small town um, Childhood. Yeah. So okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. How did you know you wanted to be an artist or when did that idea spark you? I think I've always known it. Mm -hmm. I, I think I've always been it. I think the bigger question is when was I brave enough to call myself an artist, you know, and, and not just call it, but live it because that's really the bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And when was that? It, it was when I realized it, it was after I left the workforce and um, when my kids were still quite young and I realized the value, not necessarily of making art for myself, but making art as an example for other people to honor their own creative pathway and, and particularly my children. So tell me more about that. Well, you know, when you when you become a parent, are you a parent? I am. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a life changing thing, you know. In each stage of your child's development, or um, is an astonishing education, and and what we can do not just from a nurturing standpoint, but what we can do as a mentoring, like a leading by example um, position. And so as I saw my children start to explore the world and express themselves, I realized it, it was really, it was an accumulation of all of these creative arts, you know, whether you're singing or dancing or taking on a character, a role play, playing music, all of these things boil down to the arts. And, and if I didn't listen to my own inner drive to make images, which is just how I was always wired, if I didn't honor that, then how could I instill in my kids an appreciation for and show them a means to honor whatever their own internal passions were? Mm -hmm. 
So how did you get started? Um, you know, like the first time after a long time of not painting, how did you, how did it all begin? I know your husband was a support, but when would, when did you make the first brush stroke and decide I'm going to start painting? Uh, that's a really, really great question. So when my first child was born or our first child was born, I packed my studio up and, and put all, all my art supplies, all my materials in boxes and turned my bedroom studio into a nursery. And I was so excited to do that. It was just a really wonderful opportunity for me, um, for both of us to, to begin a family. And I packed my materials away knowing I would go back to them. Mm -hmm. And I thought naively, I would go back to them, you know, shortly after the baby came home, I would find a new space and that sort of thing. But what really happened was six years went by. Mm. And we moved from the Los Angeles area back to Michigan. And I started or changed a new job. And at that point, there were five of us in the household. Mm. And it really wasn't until I left my job that my husband said, you should paint again. You know, when you're napping, do something for yourself, pull your paints out. So the boxes came back out of storage and got opened up and the dining room became my studio. And yeah. my paints were right there next to the silverware and the dishes. And I started painting during nap time. But what happens often when you invite creativity or creative time into your life, um, it wasn't satisfied with just nap time. It wanted more. Mm -hmm. And so I figured out the best way to do that was to parallel play, you know, and I had a child in a high chair and I had a child sitting at the table next to me and another one in the playpen. And we were all, we were all building things together. Um, and, and I think that that was just such a rewarding time for me. Um, it, it just allowed me to have conversations that I don't think I would have had if I'd been creating by myself, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and how long did you do it with your kids present? That last? <laughs> well, <laughs> my youngest just moved off to her first apartment at university. So I've been doing it for 20, 21 years with them. That's amazing. Um, that's, I love that. They, they grew up with art as a part of our lives, a, a regular consistent part of our lives. And for a good part of their childhood, I was a daily painter, which meant that I went into the studio every day and, and tried to start and finish a small piece every single day. Wonderful. So they saw the, the value that I placed in giving myself that time to create. That's great, that's great. And so are they artists as well, your children? They are highly creative, each of them in incredible ways. I have one who is a music and arts educator for elementary school, and, and he's also involved in marching band and percussion groups at the world-class level. I have another one who's an entrepreneur, and he is like diving fearlessly into starting his own business and trying new things. And I'm just so proud of his bravery. And then is studying sociology and she's fascinated by human behavior and and what drives our decision making and how we formulate our own truths and and she's really enjoying 
the questioning and the exploration of, of that field of study. And I'm just so excited and proud of all of them and how they have figured out who they are at such a young age yeah. and really jumped into sharing that with the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Um, I see you have a cat there. <laughs> um, so tell me about your artwork. I know that it's, uh, there are a lot of animal, uh, animals within your work. Tell me about it. How does that begin? I have always had an, I've always had a soft spot, spot in my heart for animals. And as a kid, I begged for every single pet in the universe. Um, I even had a snake in a shoebox under my bed at one point. Um, I, I've just always been connected with them in some capacity. And I've read stories and poems and and just there are characters that I discovered or, or learned through books and other experiences that I still carry with me today. And I've always painted animals. And when I started working after I left the workforce, I started painting again. The very first piece that I did was actually um, a promised painting for my sister-in-law who had a horse and I would promised her a portrait of her horse. And then I, prom I promised my brother a portrait of his dog. And so it sort of just started out from these promises that I had made um, to create portraits for loved ones. And I uh, ultimately got gallery representation based on you know, those pieces that I had been making. So animals have always been a part of that. Uh, I, I'm much more comfortable drawing animals than I am human beings. Um, and it's probably because I feel like I know them better. Uh, and right now, the series of work that I'm doing, uh, I'm calling them like spirit guides in a way. Uh, and it's because these animals, I'm painting or drawing animals that have come to me repeatedly in my life experiences, whether mm -hmm. they're coming through dreams or showing up in other capacities through books I'm reading, movies I'm watching, um, real life experiences, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just allowing them to show up on my canvases and I'm inviting them to tell me who they are. Mm -hmm. And I work in an intuitive way. So I'll show up at the canvas, say with the concept of a fox and I will draw the fox, you know, and I, I will think about its language and maybe what it's trying to tell me. Like if, if it was in a dream and it was from a distance but it was trying to make eye contact with me. Then I think about what sort of body language a real life fox might have in that capacity. The gaze clearly is significant. Um, and it, is it still, is it, was it in motion and did it stop or was it still in waiting me for no, to notice it? And I just, I, I start with that initial idea and then I just draw it. And then I try to respond to the marks on the page and not steer it in any way. I find that if I get out of my own way, that's when the magic happens and the piece really takes on its own life and becomes something I couldn't even imagine it being to begin with. Wow. So it sounds to me like you don't have a preconceived notion or image in your mind of what the painting is going to be like. It just evolves as you do the work. It absolutely does. You're absolutely right. And, and it's a complete diversion from, you know, 
the earliest chapter of my career as a working artist when I was doing portraiture work mm -hmm. and, and I knew the end result before I even sat down. Um, it's the exact polar opposite. Wow. And it feels, it feels more fulfilling because I'm creating something that didn't exist before. Mm. Um, I, I'm bringing something to life, a series of emotions or ideas or connections that weren't out there except in, inside of me. And for whatever reason, the pieces are resonating with other people. They have those same sorts of connections inside of them as well. And it's just fascinating to hear the narratives that viewers see in my paintings when they choose to share those with me. Totally different than, than you know, where I started out or what I saw evolve. Right. That's completely relevant. Fascinating. Yeah, it's always fascinating um, what the viewer sees that is very different from what the painter sees. So tell me one of those narratives. Tell me one that you recall that's been striking in some way. Well, I, I had a painting I, previous to these spirit guide pieces. I did a series of women figurative pieces and I called them the sirens. And for me now with hindsight, I realize it was me actively processing my daughter growing up and going off to college. And, and you know, my role, seeing, seeing my life paralleled in her life choices uh, and then also readying myself to let her go. And so I was painting a lot of, the, a lot of young women um, and they were looking at the viewer and there was movement and acceptance and stoicism and all sorts of these beautiful uh, emotions in, the, in these pieces that I was creating. And I had, I had a, a collector reach out as she, as she was sharing with me her connection with the piece um, and, and tell me the story of her daughter who committed suicide and how heartbreaking it was, uh, obviously, utterly heartbreaking. Yeah. But her own, how her own grieving process was nonlinear, of course, but how she was moving through that and that this piece to her felt like it was her daughter reaching out and assuring her that she was still there. You know, so while I'm painting a piece about saying a, a literal goodbye to my daughter as she leaves the nest, I have another mother come to me and say, my daughter's gone, but your painting is telling me she's still here. Wow. Um, that was one of the most profound mm -hmm. that, I, that I've had. And there have been many, um, but that one comes to mind as, as being really, really significant. Yeah, that's really moving and beautiful. Um, did she buy the piece or keep it? Or do you still have it? She, she did buy it. Yes. Say that again. She does have that piece in her collection. Yes. And I hope it gives her, I hope it gives her joy and peace. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's, I mean, that's the power of art, isn't it? It really is. You're right. Mm -hmm. It says things that, that we can't fathom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can really convey emotion and, and um, and sometimes things that are missing inside of us come come out in some way. Yes, it, it. I have learned so much about myself just through the examination of my work. Mm. You know, it's not always an immediate 
aha moment or an instant read. But when I go back and look collectively at my pieces, I, I see, oh yeah, that that's what I was chewing on and trying to figure out. Mm. Can you give an example of that? Well, you know, the, speaking of, of my daughter going off to college and painting these these uh, young women or, or women in general, um, mm -hmm. I, I knew, you know, we know that we're going to be empty nesters and we know right. we're bringing our kids to be beautiful and independent people, but there's something about that milestone of that last one leaving that really, really threw me. And ultimately what I discovered was it wasn't, it wasn't her leaving that was so hard. It was the anxiety and the time up to that moment, because once she was gone and moved in, it was beautiful. I saw how happy she was. How could mm -hmm. I be sad for that? You know, right. but it was all that, that anxiety. I think I built it up into being a bigger thing than it really, really should have been. Yeah, it is hard though. That is a, a definitely a transition that's difficult for, for parents, you know, especially if you have sacrificed a lot of your life for them. And then you become an empty nester and you're sometimes feeling lost. It's, it's interesting that you say that because I had a conversation with another friend who's also an artist uh, over the weekend. And, and we talked about how, how our children consume us when, when they are here, when they are younger and, and when they're in the household. And we willingly do that. You know, we, we willingly give them, we nurture them, we help them with everything they ask for. Um, and, and when they leave, we, we're able to take all that wisdom and, and turn it inwards on ourselves. And so now it's my time to nurture and take care of myself, the adult, you know, adult Kim, um, yeah. the same way that I did that for my kids. And, yeah. and it's, it's a beautiful a beautiful sort of full circle exchange because I never thought about parenting myself, right? Myself, yeah. You know, like bubble baths and manicures and that sort of thing, but right. <laughs> well, great. Um, so, how do you think art has healed you or helped you? Why? That's such a big question. Um, art, like I mentioned earlier, has always been with me always been in my life. Um, it, it brought me through a challenging childhood. It helped me deal with life disappointments. Uh, it carried, literally carried me through betrayal and losses. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it, it taught me how to know myself, how to know the, the innermost part of myself that I don't always show the world. Um, right. And then I think, you know, tangentially, art gave me another means to get to know and love the people who are significant in my life. Um, you know, my, my son, who's a musician, getting to share, lear learning, first of all, about the, the language of music through him because it was his fascination. Mm -hmm. And then continuing to share that um, into his adult years. It, has been one of the most beautiful gifts, um, you know, and, and each of my kids had interests in the arts that taught me a deeper appreciation for that particular vein of personal expression. And it also brought other people into my life that I, I love and cherish today. So um, mm -hmm. 
I think the arts have also given me a community to exist in, lean on to, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, for people who aren't artists, um, they might not understand how art could carry, carry you through a difficult time. Are there words to explain that to someone who might not know? Yeah. It's like? Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you used the phrase people who aren't artists, because I want to first speak to that. We are all artists. We are all creatives. And when people use the word artist in popular, popular culture, right. the definition of that is someone who makes a living from their creative output, right? Um, but you can be an artist without making a living. And you can be an artist without knowing how to draw representationally. So, um, you know, at some point in our lives developmentally, we were told that we didn't know how to draw or we figured out that what we were doing with our marks didn't match how our eyes experienced the world and we stopped. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing that I would want to say is that you have it in you. You've just not allowed yourself to explore it, number one. Mm -hmm. um, but then how, how does art heal? Mm -hmm. That was the second part of the question, well, right? How, how has it healed you in times that have been? So when, when there are times where I am at a loss of words or I'm feeling things that are really complex and I don't understand how to break them down, going to my art journal, for example, gives me the opportunity to explore through things other than language, what I'm feeling. So I could make, you know, if I'm feeling angry, then maybe I wanna make a page that's full of really dark, heavy marks. Or if I'm pondering a question, I may choose to write that question over and over and over and over, you know? And-, and Is that something you actually do? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In addition to, you know, making paintings as part of my portfolio, I use the arts or I, I use art in general in my art journal specifically as a way to really dump what's weighing yeah. and, and give me a space to process it and and give me a way to express things where language falls short. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when you do that, um, do you notice a shift in your body or some sort of change? Oops. That's a really great question. Uh, I don't know that I've necessarily noticed a shift in my body. I think there's a freedom that comes, you know, like if you're carrying a dark secret and you're finally able to share it with someone in a mm -hmm. safe, trusting way, it's like, I mean, the proverbial weight is lifted, right? Um, and there are some things, there are some problems or issues that are known you know, and you could talk about them until you're blue in the face, but that doesn't change the fact that they're there. Um, but the fact that you're talking about them mm -hmm. helps in some capacity. So I would say, yes, that 
there is a, a lightning of spirit, perhaps is a good way to put it, um, that happens when I am able to nail down how I feel, whether it's verbally or through, through the arts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't always solve the problem, but sometimes it gives clarity or it allows you to have a better night's sleep or it gives a seed of which you can use to start seeking a solution. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, writing can also do that for, for people as well. Free writing. Yes. And journaling. Now, free writing, are you talking about like stream of consciousness writing or spilling? Stream of consciousness writing, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something I use a lot in my art journaling. I can just sit down and start to write. And, yeah. and if I don't have a starting point, I go to whatever the lyrics are in the song. That's uh-huh. moment, and and that lyric could then lead to another thought that leads to another thought, and all of that can get put down on the page, and I can put marks over it later, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've done it with with my spirit guide paintings too, where I you know I have just started writing directly on on the painting itself, and in in some instances the text or the handwriting still still is revealed in bits and places in the end piece. Nice. So tell me about your, the medium that you use. Is it mostly oil or acrylic? Uh... I work in water solubles with a a neat way or clean way of saying that everything cleans up with water. Uh, So I use acrylics. I use uh, watercolor pencils or crayons, a variety of charcoals, different sorts of pencils, paint markers, inks, um, I I'm game to try anything The you know, my biggest issue is because my studio is in my home. I hesitate to bring solvents in, yeah. but I will work on those outdoors when the weather permits. I'm happy to set a table up outside and play with those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, ultimately it's just about finding the right tool to make the mark that fits whatever it is I'm trying to express. Mm, nice. So you have some paintings around you. Um, if we're, you know, doing the podcast, uh, folks can't see them, but maybe you can pick one up and describe it. Well, okay. So the piece that's directly behind me. Uh huh. Um, this is a fox, mm-hmm. and fox started coming to me uh, late winter, early spring. We have a vacant fox den in our in our yard, and I we moved here during the winter. Let me preclude that statement. So um, we moved here, and the den was vacant. And I kept waiting for the fox to show up. I really wanted her to show up, and I was seeing them everywhere. You know, seeing them when I was driving about, or um, they would be on the cover of a book, prominently displayed at a library. Or I would encounter someone at the grocery store with fox earrings or a t-shirt, you know, like they kept showing up in that way. I was dreaming about them, but I didn't really see a fox in my yard at the point that I started this painting. Um, and, and so I just, I wanted to draw her. And I was thinking about how foxes are typically orange and black. And when I'm working, I do like a stream of consciousness, a free association. And so I'm thinking, 
about other things that are orange and black. And of course, the monarch butterfly came to mind. Yeah. And the monarch butterfly is particularly significant to me with respect to metamorphosis and change of which I'm clearly right now sitting in being a new empty nester. And so I thought, how beautiful would it be to combine this butterfly with the fox? And what might that look like visually? Um, and how complex could I get the design um, before I lost the sense of the butterfly or the sense of the fox? Like where, what, where was that line? And which was gonna be the more dominant character? And so this painting went through a lot of stages as I was creating it. Um, there was a time when it was very, very powerfully a fox and the oranges and the buff colors, the fleshy colors of the fox's fur were very predominant. Mm -hmm. And then there was a time when it was very overwhelmingly um, butterflies and they were, they were migratory butterflies, which I realized after I, you know, I started drawing them in with their wings open and then I started drawing them with their wings closed the way they do when they migrate and they're resting. Um, and I thought that was also a really interesting way of visualizing a journey. And so I wanted, I wanted elements of both of those in the end piece. And I know that sounds kind of strange because earlier I said, I try to get out of my own way. But what I mean by wanting elements of both of those was that I found I was responding really powerfully to both of those elements. They felt significant to me. So I wanted to figure out how I could marry them together. Mm -hmm. so ultimately with this piece, um, the fox's head was dropped and her gaze was very significantly focused on the viewer. And there's a cloud of butterflies that started out in the initial layers as resting from migratory shapes and they were clinging to her flanks and her rib cage. And then as I painted more and more layers of them over top, as they approached what is now the surface of the painting, they began to fly away. Mm. Um, and, and so, and, and then the other last detail that I put in this piece is the fox has two different colored eyes. She has an amber eye, which is typical of a fox, but mm -hmm. she also has a blue eye. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I put a blue eye in a painting, that signifies my grandmother, who was mm -hmm. a very special um, person to me, very supportive mm -hmm. and um, just one of the wisest, most loving people. I've ever known. And so when I want to feel like she's looking at me, I'll put a blue eye in a painting. I have conversations with my paintings all the time when I'm in the studio. Um, and, and so sometimes I'll paint a blue eye in the piece knowing it's not even going to stay there, but because I want to invite her in and, wow. and have, you know, some time with her while I'm working on the piece. So um, because of this piece, I felt was sort of a narrative about myself and also a cousin of mine who's who's done some incredible work and and transformed herself in the process as well and she and I were both incredibly close to my grandmother I, I needed that eye to stay there sort of mm -hmm. as, as a as a nod to her and ultimately I named the painting after my cousin as well so you know while somebody else may come to it and see something else completely differently that would be my narrative behind you know what what happened mm -hmm. how this painting evolved yeah, that's really powerful. Um, uh, the story about your grandmother and the blue eye. Thank that's, you. That's really powerful. Um, and you have another painting behind you that uh, also looks like a, could be a fox as well. 
This one is also a fox and she's not finished. Um, I started her uh, and I felt like she was a portal. I had, I had been walking in the woods and there was a canopy of trees that went over the pathway and, and it was backlit. And I felt as though that canopy of trees, it appeared to be a fox shape to me. And so I wanted to paint that. So this painting started out that way. And I wanted the fox herself to be a portal of light with the woods sort of embracing her. And it got to this point and I don't know what comes next. And that, and that happens occasionally with a piece. And the hardest part for me is to step away mm -hmm. and or for the idea or the, um, the sequence of coincidences or winks to happen that will tell me what comes next with this one is if I I've learned that if I continue to try to force that idea, the piece is going to feel flat. It may be beautiful to look at, but when I look at it, it's going to feel flat to me and that's not satisfying. So I have to be patient and wait. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Patience. <laughs> it's very important. So yeah. I Patience and looking without taking any action is way more of an active part of the art making process than the actual application of material to the surface. Yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of patience and observation and waiting. Mm -hmm. yeah. Listening. Uh, listening. And I find that walking away from something that you're actually working on when you come back to it you have a different perspective Absolutely. so that shift in perspective can also you know influence the outcome now you're an artist yourself you're paint correct i do printmaking painting former fashion designer so what do you think is your biggest challenge as a creative? My biggest challenge as a creative is just being able to create, <laughs> you know, all the time. I would love to 24 seven do nothing but create products and paint and write and do solely that. Sometimes that's how I feel. I, I can completely relate to that. Um, because sometimes I talk about myself in two people. There's, there's artist Kim, and then there's real world Kim. And <laughs> had her way, she would be the boss all the time and nothing else but making art. Yeah. And real world Kim has to stand her ground and say, you know what? The art doesn't come if I'm not out there experiencing life. Right. And it's a really, really hard hard balance. And even my husband sometimes will say, you know what? Artist Kim has been around too much lately and I'm not liking her anymore. Um, or she, she needs to go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everyone needs a vacation, including artist Kim. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She needs to hear that. She's very bossy. Yeah. Well, I don't think that art leaves you i mean if you're if you're creative it's it's you're constantly it's just you know 
like someone on your shoulder. <laughs> it's just always there. It, it is always there. And um, I have learned that I can savor it. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And maybe part of the reason that was such a challenge was because I was a daily painter for so long. And so my goal was to get in and make every day. Um, but there were clearly days when the universe conspired otherwise, and yet I still stressed about it. And it became almost like a panic. I had to get into the studio and do something before midnight. Um, ultimately, all that matters is that you honor that desire to create. And if you have to pace yourself or you have to pull back because there are other circumstances or things that need your attention, there's no harm in doing that. It's actually a healthier thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think we all need a break from whatever creative endeavor you have or that you're working on because of that shift in perspective too. Yes. Happens. Yeah. So now you have a dog near you. <laughs> so you <laughs> I told you I, I, I am uh, very in tune with animals and I have a hard time saying no. How many, how many pets do you have? Well, we have between my husband and myself, we have two dogs and two cats mm -hmm. and rats. Ah. They're all rescues. And then each of my children, when they went out as adults into the world, got a dog of their own. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we have quite a, quite the extended family. It, it gets a little crazy. Uh, Thanksgiving is going to be very crazy here when everyone comes home with their four-legged family members. Um, <laughs> but we love it. We wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds great. Um, so anything else you want to add before we finish up? There is one other thing that I'd like to share. Um, mm -hmm. Listeners are interested in learning more about art journaling, whether they want to try it for themselves or expand their own practice. During the pandemic, I started with another artist who you interviewed, Ardith Goodwin, mm -hmm. and I started a project together called Journal Through It. Okay. We began this at the beginning of the pandemic with the goal of sharing with the community of whoever found us via social media, sharing how we used our journals as healing spaces mm -hmm. during the world was closing down and, and people were in crisis. We right. wanted, wanted to give students who didn't have school, you know, didn't have our class in school, um, parents who were suddenly homeschooling, or working from home, or maybe doing all of the above, or people who just needed a way to express themselves and language wasn't serving them. We wanted to give them, show them how art journaling could do that. And so over the course of about 16 months, the two of us created probably 80 or 90 art journaling lessons that we live streamed at the time, but they, they're all out there, they're free, the vast majority of them were created with materials most people will already have on hand at home. They are all ages friendly. Um, mm. It's just a great way to step into learning to express yourself. Even if you don't think you are creative, you don't have 
an artistic bone in your body, I'm going to argue with you, but I encourage you to, to try out some of the lessons and, and surprise yourself. Give yourself the opportunity to discover otherwise. And beautiful. How can people get a hold of those uh, videos? So they are all indexed on my website and my website is KimberlySantini.com. And my lessons are there as well as artists. And they're all listed in sequence of air date with a direct link to the videos. Okay, wonderful. And uh, how about commission paintings or anything like that that you want to talk about? Well, I'm ta- I've taken a hiatus from commission work at the moment to focus on the spirit guide pieces. Okay. And um, if anyone is interested in learning more about those, I share them on my social media platforms. I'm on Facebook as well as Insta. And additionally, I have an online classroom space. So if someone is interested in learning even more about the process, like seeing um, time-lapse video footage of the pieces being created or sitting on a Zoom call and ask me questions, those sorts of things, that's all on my Patreon, which is a plat- like a membership platform. Right. And I share content there weekly related to whatever problems I'm trying to solve in the studio. Um, And all of that information is also on my website as well as on my social media channels. Awesome. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. It's been a pleasure. I really, really enjoyed talking today. I'm so grateful that you reached out. Thank you for that. Absolutely. This was great. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. So...